Welcome to the Directing Animation Livecast with Scott Weiser. Now that I'm done directing the development and first episode of the second series of Space Station Animation, I'm joining up with Steamroller Animation to push the boundaries of the art form. Thanks to the support of so many of you, I'm continually developing more than 10 dynamic feature film pitches while mastering the art of telling deeply meaningful stories. Today's guest is the wonderful Chris Oatley, a man who fills my heart with joy. <laughs> Let me tell you a bit of background about Chris and I. I met him several years ago. It was more than 10 years ago at CTNX. And at the time, he was a Disney character designer, and he was selected to do Disney portfolio reviews. So besides those two qualifications, which were very impressive, I went and looked at his website and found this entrepreneurial spirit that he had. And he was working on all these kinds of things. And I thought, this is the kind of guy I want to be in the industry. So I kept following Chris as he created a podcast called the Paper Wings Podcast, a podcast that was meant to help visual storytellers better tell their stories. He already had the art cast, which grew in popularity and, and put his name on the map as the character designer at the top of Google, um, <laughs> the Disney character designer at the top of Google. But eventually, his career took a surprising turn. And I think the reason for this is because at CTNX, you know, you have some people who have these long lines at their tables at CTNX. And oftentimes they're like the guy who directed Lilo and Stitch, or there's somebody that, you know, has a lot of impact and you would have a line around the, uh, around your table, but it was because of the kinds of critiques you would give and the helpful advice you would give. And it seems like those two things started to collide, your love for animation and your love for teaching and helping people. And you created Oatly Academy, a wonderful school that I took several courses in. And uh, your students go on to do amazing, remarkable things. You have students who are working on at Blizzard, Wizards of the Coast. Me, I've, I'm, I've directed at a studio and now I'm a supervising animator at uh, Steamroller Animation. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on. You have published authors, uh, author illustrators. Yeah, anything else you'd like to add to that intro? I, I don't know how I would add anything to that. Um, that's uh, a, a director of the Scott Weiser fan club. That's an important credit. That's, that's wonderful. Thank you. That's very generous. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, I, it's taken me a while. Chris actually inspired, helped inspire the Directing Animation Livecast. I think you were the first one to even suggest it. I had other ideas of things I wanted to create, but... When you showed me the power of what this show could do and what it could be, not only for my career, but to build and do good things in the industry, you know, it was a no brainer. I had to do it. At that time, we talked about having on the show, but I couldn't quite see how it fits. Now I see absolutely how it fits. Being a director is being a teacher. And I've met a mm, lot of educators. Yeah. I love education. I've got several degrees, you know, <laughs> and uh, so I have a passion for that. And I have, I have yet to come across a better edu educator than you. Um, there are people who uh, kind of sit up at your level, but I think that you have a different approach than most educators that I've seen in the world to how you teach your students. And I think that will impact the industry as well. It will change the kinds of people who get into the industry and their mindset with the art we're creating in the industry. Can you speak mm. to that at all? To, well, I mean, the flattery, that's very, that's very nice. <laughs> to your philosophy nice and, 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 and oh. the kind of the impact you hope to have on the industry. Well, I mean, um, I started my first podcast in 2007. Well, started envisioning it. And then I think we launched the first episode. And yeah, no, I think the first episode was in the fall of 2007, if I remember, remember correctly. And I, I just remember I was trying to create the resource that I wished I'd had 
when I was trying to break in after breaking into animation, specifically I was at Disney at the time. Yeah. I was just like, there's just so many things that people don't talk about, but there's no reason to not talk about them. It's not like, (laughs) you know, some sort of concealed thing. There's just, I just, I don't understand why this information isn't more readily available. And so I went to create that. And then it was through the sort of feedback loop of, you know, people responding to, I mean, I guess the way I sort of present and, and the, you know, my, my value system kind of vis-a-vis professionalism and optimism and these kinds of things, empowerment. I think, you know, it was through that feedback loop that I really started to develop a relationship. And I mean, of course, developed many, many non-parasocial uh, relationships, actual <laughs> relationships. Yeah, yeah. Lots and lots of people listen to the show that I just started to realize, yeah, I guess that it, that's when the mantra really started to form. And one of, well, we have several mantras at the Oatly Academy, but one we of do. them is uh, <laughs> if we're not changing lives, we're not doing our job. And <sighs> I, I think that. educators, you know, sort of, <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I think that's a non-negotiable. If you're going to be an educator, if you're going to have an educational institution, your job is transformation. And not negative transformation. I mean, a lot of educational institutions do that, right? They go and they transform their students' lives by way of of ill-preparing them for, you know, whatever industry they want to work in and, you know, burdening them with this tremendous amount of debt. Yeah. That's not a good kind of transformation. You know, when we say, you know, if we're not, if lives aren't transforming, we're not doing our jobs, then um, that education should be synonymous with transformation. We mean, you know, obviously a positive self-actualizing, empowering kind of transformation. And so I think that just started to come through the relationship. People would say that all the time, especially back at the beginning. They would say, Chris, so it's such so cool, this community community that you've created. And I would always say, I didn't create the community. One person can't create a community. A community is created by the community, right? A community creates itself. I love that. One person does not create a community. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's a cult, right? <laughs> One <laughs> person creating a community is a cult. That's weird. You know, that's not, that's not a good thing. Well, I know there have been, uh, have been jokes sometimes that only can we get, I remember Laura Ennis was like, you know, I hope, I hope we don't start having Kool-Aid around or something like that. Cause, yeah, right, cause exactly. it was feeling like this, this extra energy, but, um, those of us who stuck around for a while saw, you know, this isn't a cult. This isn't Chris, Chris dictating what we're going to do. This is oh, the whole yeah. community is deciding like, this is what we're interested in. And you're like, maybe I could create a course for that, you know? And, and it's, it's been a wonderful experience. And also I've been in lots of online academy type of situations and it's been the one where the community stays together. The community stays mm-hmm. connected. Whenever we see each other at Lightbox or CTNX, we're so excited, you know, we, we pick up as if we never left each other's you know sides. And yeah, the diaspora. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that you want it like a community needs to be empowering. It needs to be affirming of the individual. Something my um my dad, my both my parents are very, very good teachers. They both taught in public school, um, both in music, various uh specializations, but in both in music though. My dad says teach the student first and the subject second. You know, it has to be about the individual. And if you're you know, expecting your pedagogy, your curriculum to be a one size fits all kind of thing, then you're, I mean, like you've already failed, you know, you've already failed. 
It's about the individual and it's about the individual's goals and aspirations, their values, their nose, not their nose, their nose and O apostrophe S, you know, All their, things they their, don't the, want to do. The, yeah. They're kind of hard nose, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, help me out here, Scott. I'm trying to make sure I'm clear, but you know, it has to be about the empowerment of the individual. And then it's through empowering individuals and helping them feel, yeah, just more equipped yeah. and more clear eyed about what, you know, and, and more ready and more confident about the kind of career that they want to have. Oftentimes relationship comes from that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and we're just fortunate that oftentimes people who enroll in our courses, they come back for more courses, yeah. you know, which is, I mean, hopefully if you're running a business that's happening, you know, people are coming back to your business. And so we're fortunate in that, that that's the case. I don't know if I'm making any sense though. You're making a lot let's, of sense. Let's communally create yeah. the, the point here. <laughs> yeah. And this, this idea of, to recap what you said, the, the favorite thing I think I heard you say was that to, to teach everybody exactly the same with the same approach. And you're like, I've got the perfect plan of how I'm going to teach every single person the same. Mm-hmm. At that point, you failed. The opposite yeah. of that is that it's custom tailored. You have a base curriculum, but that you can, you can customize it to each person. That does sound like a lot of work. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It sounds incredibly challenging. If there was somebody yeah. who was interested in becoming that sort of educator, what approach would you recommend? Well, I mean, I know it worked for me. It was, um, and in my case, I had two parents who were, <laughs> you know, go the extra mile educators for yeah. their students. And again, in public school, yeah, almost everything I learned about teaching, I learned from my parents. And I actually talked about this recently. We're we're doing a free course on our newest website. It's called a uh, project. is called Room Two, but the URL is how to become a professional artist dot com. And at that website, I just realized now how confusing this is. So at that website at how to become a professional artist.com, you can get our, this course called you're a better artist than you think for free. Yeah. Amazing and, course. Um, uh, thank you. Linked down and, in the show uh, notes too. <laughs> so. oh, yeah, oh, right. Yes. I, you linked that. Yeah. Thank you for that. So it's, it's so in, there's a lesson, lesson uh, 1.3 in that course. I think it's 1.3. I tell a lot of my own personal story. And in there, I tell some of these stories about my parents, but one in particular that I will reiterate here is that it it was like a weekly occurrence. I think usually on Monday nights, if I remember correctly, where, you know, my parents would come home from teaching and then we'd have dinner and then they would get on the phone and they would call every single parent of every single student. And I mean, this is U.S. public school system. I mean, My parents and and because they're in music, they've got like all the kids, right? Right. And they would call every single parent and they would go in these groups and they just had this this routine of calling, you know, calling through their lists of every single parent and checking in very frequently. I don't know how often it was for each individual parent or guardian or set of parents or whatever the situation was and just call. It wasn't like I have to call the parents. We have a problem. It wasn't like that. Yeah, it was. Here's how Scott's doing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we had this great, you know, just a check-in update. You know, how's it going? How are things at home? And it's just like take, really taking an interest in, you know, the whole family. And and so I think that that was just huge, just seeing how how much my parents care, mm-hmm. care cared when they were before they were retired and how they continue to care even well into their retirement. Yeah. And um, and then I I tried for the first time teaching public school two years ago. And so I was an adjunct teacher at uh, at a middle school in my hometown. 
that's a long story. I, I like telling that story, but it, I don't want to get off track. <laughs> My point is, is, as I was witnessing this firsthand now as part of the staff working with middle school kids, and it was just ama- just an amazing, <laughs> amazing year. It was an amazing year. And I learned so much. I thought I knew some things about teaching. And then I went and spent a year with this staff at, at this uh, middle school I taught at. And again, just in a way, kind of like you have, you must unlearn all that you've learned, you know, I just seeing yeah. how wholeheartedly these teachers were committed to their students, just yeah. absolutely mind blowing just to see how they knew every single detail of what was going on with their students, what in terms of in, in ed- educational terms and also just in their lives, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, just seeing how, I mean, we would be in staff meetings and someone's just in tears because they have a student who's just having an extraordinarily difficult time. Mm-hmm. And this teacher is just wrung out because they just want, they just love their students so much. They just want them to, they just want the pain to go away. Yeah. Yeah. You know, exactly. um, very parental right in, in that way. So anyway, I could go on and on, but I mean, I think that the the short answer to your question is get around good teachers. Yeah. You got to get around good teachers and not just other people who paint digitally well, right? It doesn't yeah. matter what they're teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, we get so caught up in this idea in the, in the commercial arts spaces. We get co- so caught up on this, you know, well, this person is a really good painter. I can't wait to take their class. And it's like, well, maybe they suck as a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and the problem with the, with a bad teacher is that it might not be just a benign, well, I wish I had spent my time and money elsewhere kind of situation. It could actually be damaging. You know, you open yeah. yourself up in this vulnerable way, like that could just really go really, really poorly. It could. And so, um, and so I think that, yeah, get, you know, y- we have to, if you're going to sort of step into that, you know, I'm, I'm not a religious person, but I think of the classroom as sacred, you know, in a, in a non-religious way, you know, I mm-hmm. think of it as sacred and, but that's the best word I can I can think of to describe how I just how I think how important I think a classroom is. Yeah. If you're going to step into there and to not have given that space in that position, all the respect and consideration it deserves. I, I don't know. Anyway, I think get around really good teachers and look how really good teachers do it. Look how they respect the classroom. Yeah. And everyone has, you know, everyone's has to have time to try and fail and grow. I mean, that's like any job. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. You yeah. Have to be able to, you know, you have to be able to to fail. And and that's the amazing thing about, of course, having if you're in a situation where you've got a, a staff around you that can support you, then, you know, you can maybe look forward to failure even more than if you're <laughs> yeah, on yeah. your own where exactly. it's really hard. Yeah. If you, I'm not making making sense at any point, you just tell me. No, you were making sense. And, and there are some things that I um I want to connect together with the story of an experience I had with you where you keep you've mentioned once you said that sometimes you have to unlearn things. That sometimes when you have a bad teacher, that isn't just a benign thing. It actually could cause problems in the future. And I remember seeing a student of yours that I'd seen their artwork before. And all of a sudden, they were just creating this artwork that I was I was blown away by. I thought, this is not, this is almost a different artist. And I remember praising you for it. And your response, I felt, was really golden. You said, I didn't, all I did was clear the path, mm. is what you said. So, I envisioned you with your teaching method as you were just taking all these lessons they've learned that aren't yeah. helpful and saying, here's here's how you can actually get to your goal in a more streamlined way 
in a more constructive way. And having the path clear, this artist was suddenly free to create the kind of art that they've always wanted to create. And that was, that was yeah, remarkable. And be the best, right, be the best version of themselves. Well, and, and to back up, I'm, I'm sort of like yes anding now, but uh, thank you. <laughs> it's that's fun. encouraging yeah. to hear. I mean, that's my, you know, one of my major roles <laughs> at the school is, um, yeah, just clearing the path. Students come in just with, you know, I say you're full of should. <laughs> full, <laughs> full of should. Of should. <laughs> okay. You know, we're just full of should, right? I should do this. I should do that. I should be doing more of this. I'm not enough. Yeah. Right. I'm just, I'm not good enough. I'm not working hard enough. I'm not, and students are just burdened. They're just weighed down and they've just got this pile of should that they're carrying around. Mm -hmm. And so that's usually the first, usually the first year is just a sort of sorting through that and going, what do you feel like is relevant? Yeah. You know, well, I don't know. I don't know what's relevant. Why don't you know what's relevant? Well, because I don't know where I'm going. Okay. Well, let's figure out where you want to go first. Yeah. Then we'll figure out what's relevant. Then we'll sort through what you actually should be doing, which is maybe one or two things, you know, like with repetition and clarity and drive and determination. But also with the confidence that comes from knowing that this time that I'm investing in this development of the skill or promoting this project or whatever is relevant to where I want to go with my life. Yeah. You don't want to spend years you know. climbing a ladder to find out that you've been climbing low, the, the wrong ladder, right? When you get to the top oh, yeah, of it. And this happens. <laughs> it right? does. This happens it to does. people. I mean, yeah. I, I hear this. I won't say I hear it all the time, but I wouldn't say it's uncommon either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, this actually really ties in well to your course, your free course of how to save your art career. That's the whole point of it is you need to know whether this ladder is really the ladder you want to climb. Is this really the thing you would do day in and day out through even boredom to, to, to yeah. try to accomplish? Well, then if not, you need to, you need to pick a different ladder to climb. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah I'd, love to, so important. I'd love to hear some of some experiences from students that surprised you. Just, just certain students. You don't even have to name them by name. We can call them Student A <laughs> had this situation, and then, then this this happened. Or if it's somebody you want to call them by name, that's fine too, because you have a lot who've been successful and are positive influences on the industry as well. Yeah, I mean, I think my my students surprise me all the time. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's a weekly occurrence. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's one of the great things about being a teacher and being actually invested in your students' lives. I think is is that you just get get your it's just full of surprises. I mean, you just yeah. constantly getting surprised you're constantly having to improvise you're constantly having to adapt it's a constant challenge and i love it i mean i think my students surprise me in how well i don't know if surprise is the right word because i mean you know we another mantra we have is knowledge is created in the class classroom not bestowed from the platform mm, yeah right it's not this sort of like weird you know it things especially since the advent of social media things do like we were you you were you know making that joke about cultiness of of uh, the way <laughs> educators often are viewed and and that is true like it is and, and this was even even before influencers were a thing even before that whole kind of thing it was still there was still a lot of spaces where it was really weird there was this and, and still is this weird idol worship that happens with people who are kind of in an educational or a motivational space. And it's mm. really, really strange. It's this very weird kind of rock star dis disproportionate kind of thing. And so, you know, we, we, we always try to, you know, always return to this space of, yeah, knowledge is created in the classroom, not bestowed from the platform. So in other words, we create knowledge together here in this educational institution. That's what educational institutions should do. Ideally, yeah. Right. Yeah. 
it's not like what how in the world is it an educational institution if it's just one person standing on a platform going again here you should you should you should you should let me just show off with all my smart things or yeah. you know, whatever. Is that part or of the reason they're of... not smart things? Oh, usually yeah. they're, uh, they're didactic and absolute and, you know, these like dichotomous sort of uh, absolute statements. Always do this. But, Never do this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just so intense and dogmatic. Yeah. It's so weird as artists where these pr- supposed to be these purveyors of subtlety and nuance and yet it gives, give an artist a microphone and then, yeah, exactly. Give art an artist a microphone. All of a sudden there's this dogmatic, you know, sort of uh, <laughs> intense, dogmatic, you know, um, yeah, taskmaster. And that's possibly anyway. because we're so good. At, like, we're good at doing it when we're actually in the craft. We're good at being that open, nuanced explorer. But then mm-hmm. perhaps in situations that like speaking, all of a sudden there's a nervousness there. And there's like, yeah. okay, how have gotta I seen have all this? the answers. I've seen this done before. So I've got to be able to, to deliver like Tony Robbins yeah. or, you know, any other, any other right. uh, guru on self-help. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. That's interesting. I, I like. That. I do think that's what happens. We psych ourselves out, and yeah. But anyway, getting back to the surprise thing. Yeah. So now I was creating the classroom. So ju- I'll just take a recent example since it happens all the time. Just this past weekend, I was I, I teach my mentorship, which is called the Clockwork Heart. I teach that on Fridays and Saturdays, and so I, I was having um, having class at, on both. We we do the same thing on Friday and Saturday, so it's two different groups, and we had this prompt. Where uh, so we're, we're right now we're in the middle of a series where we're working on networking and uh, all these different ways that you know you can um, network and we talked about your and in fact you came in Scott and and talked about this yeah. platform here you talked about that and about how it's helped your career and we've had a lot of examples of how you can create a platform that does some of your networking for you mm-hmm. right it it sort of works on its own. Even though it's a lot of work, like what you do here is a lot of work, but it also can create this exponential, you know, web of opportunity. Yeah. And so we were talking about that. We did this exercise where they went into breakout rooms. So that's on Zoom. You can put people into smaller. You know, we have everybody in the big classroom on the Zoom session, but then we break out into smaller breakout rooms. They took time to basically pick an interest that is not related to art. So it's not something that's going to be career-based, just something fun. Mm-hmm. So I would have picked music or something like that, or dogs, you know, just something that I am really interested in that I'm not going to be pursuing a career in. Mm-hmm. And so um, they all picked one of those. So a non-art, like something not related to your career, but a topic that you know something about and that you've got some experience in. Yeah. And so they all got together and, and this was actually, this was just two, just groups of two. Usually when we do breakout rooms, it's like four people, but, um, but, uh, this was just groups of two. And then the assignment was, so if you and I were in a breakout room together, yeah, the assignment then is, and let's say yours is musical theater, right? <laughs> so then I have to design and it's hypothetical. It's just for fun, but I have to design sort of a fantasy platform for you to start a career in musical theater. <laughs> That's cool. So we go through all the ways Well, we think through all the ways. Okay. How has musical theater launched career? How have people launched careers in musical theater? I would have to then design for you. Oh, that's interesting. You know, so it then separates it yet another degree because we get so close to our yeah. careers, you know, that we just can't see clearly. And so the idea is let's get some distance and let's practice on a topic that is a just for fun. And it's just to go through the mechanics of thinking through what makes a platform work, what would make a platform work for me personally, like what would be a good fit for me personally and this kind of thing. And so some of the 
answers that people came back with were just absolutely amazing. Yeah. But on both nights, people were saying, oh, yeah, I think I'm just going to abandon this whole art thing and go start this whole other career with this. <laughs> not literally. We were joking. They're not actually going to do that. Right. Yeah. But, you know, one of my uh, students and friends, uh, Matthew Cook, who you also know, Scott, he really is interested in the paranormal. <laughs> and so his breakout room partner, Kim Lampers, um, who's a fantastic author, she designed for Matthew this traveling podcast where Matthew would go into towns with ghost stories and then interview the people. I'm just getting chills. just thinking about how cool oh, this is. is so, you cool. know? so she's like, yeah, so you'll go, you'll drive from town to town and you'll kind of, you know, live out of the Airstream trailer or something like this. Yeah. And, and you'll, uh, you'll interview the town people about and get all these angles on the ghost story and maybe go and actually go through the location where the goat that's supposedly haunted and these kinds of things are just like that is so awesome what an awesome now take that same energy and creativity and in you know kind of innovation and now apply that to your what you're going to do with your career and yeah. also if you want to start a ghost podcast or whatever then go do it <laughs> go ahead and do it you know this kind of thing maybe that can connect to your right writing or whatever or yeah. your art so you know? and it was just like one so. after another after another of these amazing ideas yeah uh, yeah, a chill hop meetup. Uh, Craig Russell and uh, Melquia Smith were came up with this idea to do a chill hop meetup, uh, like a, basically a Discord channel where people could get together and have uh, uh, sort of shared because chill hop is kind of sort of like overwhelming and how much there is out there. Yeah, and share recommendations essentially. And I could just go on and on, but anyway, it was just the best, and we just had the best time. We yeah. were laughing and. And just having this great time, but it's also really insightful. Yeah. So it's like that. Yeah. I mean, they're like this all the time. I mean, they're just, a, you know, constant, constant source of, you know, creativity and inspiration. And yeah. And that really, like, uh, that really harkens back to what you said about, you know, the discovery, the education happens in the classroom. It doesn't happen with the pre-recorded lecture. Even when you have, I mean, you come with these really amazing plans when you create your lectures, but when they're in front of the classroom, suddenly it's like they take on this new life. And that sounds like the perfect example of that kind of activity, you know, where it it's so designed fun. to create discoveries. It's designed to create yeah. education opportunities that the community is creating together. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Knowledge is created in the classroom, not bestowed from the platform. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Let's speak a bit broader in terms of now, I know, I know that you as a just how you are. You don't want to speak negatively of things. So I don't, I don't know that this question should lead us there. It should lead us more toward like the positive uh, potential. Sure. But overall, broadly in the industry, one of the reasons I created the directing animation livecast was to make the industry a better place to work for artists, right? A lot of it was built on things I'd heard you say on the Artcast and on the Paper Wings podcast. How far do you think we've advanced up until now on the industry as a good place to work? And where do you think we should go if we want to make it a successful and uh, still meaningful place to work? Well, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think that I don't necessarily think it's better than it was when I was breaking in back yeah. in 2007. I don't think it's necessarily better. I think there are certain things that are better. And I think there are certain things that are not. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there are things that we thought were fine or were not thinking about that have, have all come out and we realize, oh, actually, it was hell on earth. That wasn't fine. Yeah. 20 years. Yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> like it's just been like really bad, like really, really bad. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, speaking, for example, to Disney, 
you know, I generally always felt like Disney was a, was a pretty good place to work. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, you know, obviously it, it, there are things kind of corporately I really disagree with. I think they make way too many Marvel movies and <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, I could, I could, yeah. I could, you know, complain about that kind of thing, but I, you know what? I mean, it's, it's interesting. We get shocked when industry is industrial. <laughs> I, know. Like, well, I know. I mean, it's called an industry. It is for called a an industry. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, that's why I think you've got to have your own, your own things, you know, but, you know, leverage the resume power that comes from working at a place like that and then, and then uh, do your own stuff. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't, I think it's kind of an unquantifiable thing. But I think that there, I think there are dynamics that are better, and well, and and that even that's all relative, right? So I think it's you know generally it seems like studios, at least you know as far as I can tell, being a freelancer, um, I'm not in in house anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I only freelance, so that that is obviously its own kind of myopic, literally almost literally myopic thing. Yeah, I mean, it seems like studios are. I mean, we've said this before, right? But but um, it seems like they're making. A more of a push for inclusivity and diversity and i mean that that seems like that's more on the radar mm-hmm. now so that you know i hope is you know I'm, i hope i'm reading that accurately as as better hopefully than yeah. it was yeah. I, I mean i but i could go on all day like you said i don't want to just you know you know talk trash but there's this, <laughs> you know i mean there's this thing where it's like yeah but uh, it, is the problem that we're not doing enough or is the problem that we just should have been doing the right thing for the last hundred years. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like we, we, we wouldn't be in this problem if we had paid attention to it 60, 70 years ago or whenever, you know, you know, whenever it was the time at which growth was happening. Yeah. So and then on the flip time. side, sometimes progress just for the sake of progress isn't actually moving us to where we want to be either. You know, so. Well, like Disney plus or something. I mean, just yeah. sort of more is not better. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We or, don't, we or don't sometimes we, Star Wars. we try to, <laughs> certain groups will try to progress in something and realize too late sometimes that the thing they were trying to push was actually not the thing that was going to help them long-term. And, you know, we've seen examples of that throughout history, not even just in the entertainment industry, but yeah. So there's this dynamic, right. there's this, there's this need. It seems like a need for balance, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we don't, yeah, there's this just this huge push, right, to get more. Yeah. I mean, I think Disney, I think there's, there's, well, I mean, I have no idea. Sometimes their behavior seems to signify to me that they're kind of afraid of Netflix, <laughs> you know, or some, or, or yeah. whatever, afraid of, you know, the destabilization of the, and I would be too, quite frankly, if I were in charge, which I would never want to be. <laughs> if yeah. I were in charge there, I would, I would be too afraid of that. But it's the thing where it's, so then we just, just keep pushing out content, which is good for jobs, mm-hmm, right? It's yeah. good for jobs, but it it's, I mean, if that eventually leads to this sort of like massive hiring, massive layoffs, massive hiring, if it, if it creates more instability overall, like you're saying, I don't know if that is actually, is that better? Yeah. yeah I don't know. I, I but, I but anyway, getting back to what the topic was, there was something in cogent that I wanted, to, or at least I thought it was cogent, <laughs> that I did want to say. And that is that I think that as we have, sort of and i mean there's exceptions all over the place but i think as we have lost touch with the craft of storytelling and as movies and streaming have become less story first and more about product first or logo first or personality like you have this famous personality first Mm -hmm. or whatever it is the tail wags the dog situation Mm -hmm. you know that's a race to the bottom and that's 
and, and so we end up with this sort of like photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy kind of experience where we just totally forget how to tell a story. And uh, everybody should go read Invisible Ink by Brian McDonald. Oh, yeah. Start there. I have know. thought of him many times. Yeah. Uh, one of those, and then, one and of then, those yeah, things. Read, that, oh, sorry. I'll, I'll say after. Read Invisible Ink. Listen to everything Brian does yeah. and then hire him to come fix your movie. I'm, yeah. I'm saying that He's will amazing. solve your problem. Yeah. Like that will solve your problem. If you just hire Brian McDonald and <laughs> actually listen to him. Yeah. Actually listen That's to him the and trick. put him into the <laughs> Yeah. You know. We get addicted yeah. to process in animation. You know, we get so addicted to process. Mm-hmm. And I, I was just talking about Marvel and Star Wars and these kinds of things. And those are not the animation industry. I mean, there are animated things with those. But, you know, but we get so addicted to our own process. You know, we went, well, Toy Story 2 is a total disaster and we fixed it in a weekend. And so then we take the lesson we take from that, though, is every movie needs to be a disaster before we can fix it in the 11th hour. Yeah. And then you end up with like, if I don't know, you've seen that Frozen 2 documentary uh-huh. on Disney Plus, but it's like we we get in this thing where it's like now every the movie way to has to a be film. a disaster. And we're like, but it's like, guys, that's not the magic formula. You know, <laughs> no. Oh, when, when I came up with the with the Oscar winning idea, I was leaning against this doorpost and I had by hand. I think I had it on my head and I was chewing gum and oh, um, and I was wearing this shirt. So if I just do all those things, that'll make the movie good. And it's like, no, that's not. <laughs> you know, that's not what made story, Toy Story 2 good, you know. Uh, it wasn't the disaster in the 11th hour save that no. made it good. Yeah. It, it, it's it's simplicity and thematic focus. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it good, you know. Yeah. The brilliant thing, brilliant thing about Brian McDonald's approach um, is that he is he has learned so much about so many master's craft that he knows several ways in to fixing it, which is is brilliant. He actually said the other day, and this is on progress that he said every time there's a technological in- innovation something major is gained and something major is lost you know we're so we're so excited for the new technological adva- uh, advancements but at the same time right. i think we all have to stop and say what are we losing here the yeah. same can apply with your analogy yeah. of this is how we make a film right we make a film by creating a disaster in the 11th hour we save it well that's an innovation but something major is gained and something major is lost it's, it's we should be yeah. wise about our approach. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, we, we we and and just be careful of learning the wrong lesson. Yeah, you know, yeah, we, yeah. Hollywood learns the wrong lesson all the time. They constantly <laughs> learn the wrong lesson. You know, and it's like, oh, anyway, like we're here to talk about education but, and um, making the industry a better place. So this really does apply. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I don't know if the industry is a better place. I think probably it's a you know just up to the. You just have to survey a lot of animation industry employees and to even get something close to quantifying that. Yeah. But do I think that there's lots? Uh, yes, I think there are thousands of people working in the animation industry and the entertainment industry more broadly mm-hmm. that are striving to continually make it a better place. I think that is true. Yeah. I think that, and especially in animation, I think that the people working on the movies and TV shows don't necessarily want to be making Star Wars episode 964. Right. I'm not to pick on Star Wars. You know, Star Wars is wonderful. It's a a mindset. It's a mindset. Yeah. Well, it was wonderful. I mean, there were were two wonderful Star Wars movies. Um, (laughs) (laughs) New Hope and Empire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, I don't remember what I was even saying. What am I getting at? I do think that, that there are lots of people striving to make it better. I think that 
I mean, we could go super, I mean, we can get into capitalism, you know, we could get into all kinds, kinds of problems, places, yeah. you know, it's, it's like, there's these the systemic issues, there are, there are just the basis of capitalism is problematic, just to begin with. So mm-hmm. what is better, you know, uh, and I'm not trying to be vague, I just don't know. I don't know. How yeah, it's we, hard. And it's good to have yeah. that kind of honesty, because we think that there could be something better, that it might be nice to break it down and try to build something new. But how can you guarantee it actually will be better, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah. you know, and you hear that a lot, right? You hear a lot of, a lot of this kind of thing. Oh, I'm going to reinvent the animation industry or I'm going out on my own. And and everybody, I mean, Pixar did that successfully for a while. And then they've, you know, kind of, I feel like they kind of lost their way in general. (laughs) All of a sudden I'm going to, I just say that on a live. So yes, I guess. (laughs) I mean, but I do, I think that's generally true. It just feels a little bit like, yeah, this is just, you know, we've lost, there's so much franchise. Yeah. There was a day when a trailer would come out for that. And even, even a film like Ratatouille, which I absolutely loved, I saw the trailer and thought I wasn't going to like it, you know, but I was like, it's mm-hmm. Pixar. There's something, there's something that just gets me into that theater. And obviously it's one of my favorite films of theirs. Yeah. So to, to say that's missing is, is very true in a lot of audience. Yeah. Members. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it's franchise, but I'm not, I, I want to be careful that I'm not just talking about franchises. That's, it's not just it's just that franchise is an easy uh, yes. example. Yes, that's you true. Know, it's not just franchise. I mean, it's all kinds of, of issues. Because again, what is better, right? I mean, are we talking about better stories? Well, no, I don't think we're telling. Generally speaking, I don't think we're telling better stories. You know, Black Panther was fantastic. Yeah. That was a really... In, in, and it's an MCU movie. So it's like, that's tough. That's hard. It's really hard. Clear, moving story that yeah. you know if not aside from just the trappings of the mcu brand is a i mean i think it's a cinematic classic mm-hmm. i will tell but i think it it has to be a, a classic yeah so good stuff does get made yeah and does. good stuff even gets made in the sort of franchise machine you know that that can happen just that uh is it is it more inclusive is it more safe for you know, from toxic behavior, all the bad behavior stuff we've heard about, you know, well, I hope so. And I think there's a lot of, you know, sorry. <laughs> yes, sorry, Scott. But I was getting glimpses of what you were saying. You were, you were hoping that the, uh, the industry was more, a, better, a more safe place to work, that we were yeah, telling better so. stories. Yeah. Um, yeah. That really leads us well to the last question that I always ask, which is the get wiser moment, which is, in, oh dear. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> that is um, nothing you've said has been wise enough yet so we need to we need to get wiser we need to we need to amp up the it's wisdom. a branding thing it has to do with somebody's last name i think i like it but, <laughs> yeah i like it so the question is if my goal is to get the highest clarity the highest potency of truth into a story what approach would you recommend if your goal is to well, get that, that is your goal that is my goal <laughs> Okay, so let's get clear on that first. <laughs> that is your See, goal. See, this is Chris being a good educator. Okay, so right, yeah, is is to get the, the highest what? potency of truth into a story. Something that when you I, see it, you just it rocks your world. It gets you, it elevates you, moves you to a higher right. plane of existence. Yeah, and I promise I'm not trying to be difficult or vague. No, you're but being awesome. What do we mean by truth? That is a hard thing to define, right? Because it's it's mm. a it's a definition that has gotten really. Uh, there's various definitions of it. In my case, I would just say that I want to give people the experience I had when I watched Sunset Boulevard, where I watched that film. I sat down with my wife and I said, I need to make real changes right, <laughs> in my life, right. right? That's the result I'm looking for, where yeah. it opens up your mind to truth. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I think that was, I mean, Billy Wilder is, has this uncanny 
ability, vis-a-vis thematic focus, which, you know, is the case with many of his, most of his movies. Yeah. And um, disarming honesty. Disarming mm-hmm. honesty. And I think, so I think you have to be disarmingly honest. And that means having something to say. But that thing you have to say is disarmingly honest. Mm-hmm. And that, and that you have to be, yeah, laser focused on delivering that and only that. Mm. dramatizing not delivering you can deliver just through having a character stand up and say it and it's you know doesn't work but dramatizing that thematic idea and only that and do not go off course you know yeah even it seems fun don't go off course yeah (laughs) Yeah. well you know in i i was just recently watched through i did a rewatch of the office the the uh, american the u.s american office everybody you know i think correctly criticizes those last few seasons and it, those seasons have their moments but i mean there are some stretches that are not good i mean they're mm-hmm. really rough like they really lose their way and again this is the thing when i say lose their way still that staff of writers and those actors I mean, it's like their Talented. worst day yeah. is still incredible i mean it's right. like <laughs> I, i'm talking about compared to billy wilder right i'm i'm, I'm talking about <laughs> Compared to the best episodes of the absolute best episodes of The Office ever made, you know, everybody has a bad episode every now and then, but Mm -hmm. then you have the sense of losing their way. When I say that, I'm talking about throughout, there's just these long stretches. I mean, the majority of whatever it is, season nine or eight or whatever it is where, I mean, you're just like, what, what is happening? It just doesn't seem like anybody has any idea what's going on. And we're just jumping the shark left and right. And, you know, it just gets really wobbly. That's more what I'm talking about. Anyway, I think one of the problems, one of the many, many problems in the late seasons of The Office is that Ed, is Ed Helms was so famous. Mm-hmm. And so they put Andy in this, then the leading role. And Andy was arguably, I think it's arguable that Andy was the least resolute character in the entire main cast. You know, he comes onto the show and he's this sort of broy you know like they play the land parties and all this kind of kind of guy then he then they have this sort of anger management thing and then he's sort of this you know uh he just gets taken advantage of by angela for so long and he's sort of just strung along with that whole thing you know andy is at his best when he's the cornell guy he's the acapella nerd from cornell yeah and that's that's really andy at his best in my opinion anyway and he works like that in as a flavoring, not as the main course, but as a spice that you throw into the recipe. Yeah. And all of those ingredients work together. And then when you all of a sudden say, now I'm, I like this burger. Oh, this burger has ketchup on it. I think I'm going to take ketchup and put it on the bun. And now I'm going <laughs> to have a ketchup sandwich. That'll be delicious. Right. <laughs> and that's what, ha- that's what happens. Yeah. So when I say thematic focus, you cannot deviate and you have to be very careful not to let external factors turn your burger into a ketchup sandwich yeah. right it, it, to affect it and so i think it's does this choice clarify my point further does it make it uh clearer and when i say clear i can mean mostly i mean emotionally potent yeah is it is it emotionally clear yeah. is it is it is the is the truth that i'm trying to convey here emotionally clearer and i think that that one choice to just focus on that thematic message. And when I say theme, I'm not talking about, oh, it's this, you know, we have themes of loss and heartbreak. And no, the theme is, I'll take another Billy Wilder movie, Double Indemnity, 
that you can't escape the prison of your own mind, right? The whole thing. There's a moment at the beginning of that movie where he's where the two main characters are meeting for the first time. And uh, Fred McMurray has to wait downstairs for a moment. And he just goes over and the shadows from the blinds on the wall are these diagonal film noir kind of graphic bars. Yeah. So it's literally like evoking this idea of a prison cell. And then he goes over and he talks about how these two goldfish, he noticed these two goldfish in a goldfish bowl and they're swimming together. And he just walks over and just feeds the fish just sort of as part of his kind of wandering around waiting on things to do. It's like, here's a shot with a guy who's just having to wait on things to do and even this doing things while he's waiting right so he's just idly kind of wandering around the lobby area of the house and yet even these you know throwaway things he's doing are thematically focused yeah yeah and this can be this can be hard to do i'm finding you know especially as you pitch to different executives and every company's different but i think the better you know your story uh the better you'll be able to make sure that comes through i've uh and i've been reading this um oh sorry no go ahead were you going I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I'd love to hear you. I've been reading uh, Maurice White's memoir. Uh, he's the uh, founder of Earth, Wind & Fire, for those folks that don't know him. Very insightful, full of a lot of uh, great quotes. But th- he, this isn't a quote, but he says this, he sort of implies that, well, basically he says, you know, his vision for Earth, Wind & Fire was so clear that someone could have shaken him awake at 3 a.m. and he still would have been able to provide in that instant in that instance he could have provided a clear succinct explanation of his vision for the band Mm -hmm. and i'm like that is how well we need to know our project pitch Mm -hmm. you know we have to know it that well somebody could shake you awake at 3 a.m and you could immediately deliver a clear succinct articulation of the vision yeah well the reason for that is you're going to get that you're going to get into the executive meeting and they're going to start asking you questions and you're going to end up saying things out of order (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, or you just realize how that that seemed fully baked, but you just we've all had that experience. Oh, yeah. right? You just realize, oh, wow, this is nowhere near as yeah. as resolute as I thought it was. Yeah. You know, there's this thing uh, Joseph Albers talks about, which is um, maximal theme, minimal effort. <laughs> so the idea being, oh, but then but then it but but you get maximal theme, minimal effort. You get that blend by way of maximal mental effort yes so you have to think through it and thinking could be writing taking notes research all these things but you have to work it out so and it's so much hard mental work it is you have to work it out so clearly and you put in all this time so that when you go to communicate it you can communicate it in just a few words you can communicate it in just a few images it requires minimal effort to convey this you know but but you convey maximal thematic clarity with you know in two hours for yeah. example, take Double Identity or any other, you know, really great, great thematically focused movie. Yeah. Wizard of Oz, you know. And if you're going to spend millions of dollars or the equivalent of millions of dollars, and in Wizard of Oz's case, you know, a terrible, terribly difficult production, you know. Right. Um, if you're going to go through that kind of thing to make a film, yeah. the story better be worth it, you know. I, yeah. can't, I can't even begin. We don't even have time for me to go into what I've been doing on my current project. It's been, it has been bending over backward and tying myself in a knot, yeah. but it's been right. very rewarding. You know, the things that you learn by putting in that sort of effort are golden, you know? Yeah. Hopefully we'll learn the right lessons and <laughs> take the right lessons along with us. Yeah. But, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, this has been a wonderful interview. Um, is there anything else you, you wanted to chat about before we wrap up? I just want to keep chatting. I know. Keep chatting with Scott. We could just keep going on and on and on. Yeah. 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 I mean, thank you. Thank you for 
sharing this time. Yeah. Thank you. It's nice. Thank you. Nice. And everybody, I mean, uh, check the show notes, check out Chris's course. Um, anybody, no matter where you are in your career, even if you think you have it figured out, it will be useful. It's useful for me. I have mentioned it to people on the live cast before. There was a director, I don't know if our audience remembers, but he was pitching his project on. And then I shared the lessons from Chris's course because I just read them that, that morning. Hmm. And it got that director actually thinking, do I really want to do this? He yeah. really started to get self get self-reflective and saying, you know, maybe this isn't really what I want to do with my life. Right. You know, I still love animation, but maybe it's not being the creator of the content or the um, right. originator of the idea. And that's okay. That's completely okay. Yeah. And so that course is brilliant. Please go through that. It'll help you find your way, not only temporarily, but but hopefully in an evergreen fashion. Yeah, that that's that's kind of you to say. It's encouraging to hear that that was um, because what no matter what this director. No matter where this director lands, mm -hmm. it's either the either their resolve is strengthened or they realize, oh, I want to be the hype man, yeah. you know, or I want to be the I want to play a supporting role. I want to be an I just want to do the color scripts and be the art director. I don't want to, yeah. you know, direct the thing. And the movie will be better if I do this job mm -hmm. really, really yeah. well or whatever it is, you know. But yeah, that course, again, it's called You're a Better Artist Than You Think, and it's at howtobecomeaprofessionalartist.com, howtobecomeaprofessionalartist.com. Check that out. And I don't know that you're open for enrollment in the Clockwork Heart. Soon. Soon. He's opening for yeah. enrollment. Please check that out. If you're having any struggles, or you really want to know a step-by-step -step way to be able, not step-by-step -step exactly, but <laughs> to be able to finish your passion project. That's the, that's the point of the course. And it's very dynamic. It's constantly growing and shifting according to the students, as you've heard in this course. So please check that out and become a part of this wonderful community. Oatly Academy just has a great place, burning place in all of our hearts, those of us who've been involved. So thank you, Chris, again, for being on the show. Please check thank out you, his Scott. stuff. And until next time, I hope we all get a little wiser. Thank you for watching the Directing Animation Livecast, hosted by Scott Weiser, audio version edited by Kira Horowitz, copyright Scott Weiser, LLC 2022. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube and ring that notification bell.